From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, February 4th, 2020. And uh, we'll get to a post-Super Bowl podcast at some point uh, because we want to welcome in the long-awaited guest who's finally made it onto the show, Dylan DeChair, who is from Golf Magazine and Golf.com to talk about a couple things. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Thanks for having me. It, yes, it is. It is my pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Um, so the reason why Dylan's on is that late last year he wrote a bunch of articles that really caught my eye, and um, Slash had a podcast which caught my eye, and um, we we've been trying to make it work, and and here we are. So let's start with Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson to me. Dylan is one of the most fascinating characters in all of golf. Um, he just goes about it another way, and he has gone through this body transformation. And um, you spoke with him about this at the Hero World Challenge, and I don't know if I've seen anybody as giddy about anything as Bryson was about his body since Justin Thomas seeing Bama win the, the uh, national championship. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that Bryson is one of the most fascinating figures in golf because he is just a little bit different in a sport where so many guys kind of blend in. And uh, I think it's been a little bit unfortunate to see as Bryson has put himself out there a little bit, I don't think fans have necessarily responded all that well to it. You know, there's, Bryson gets a fair amount of hate for being different. Um, and I think that that's, tough on him i think that that you know wears on him from time to time but man he was excited about this bulk up you can tell he fully believes in it and you started to see it actually in the numbers um this past week in arizona it really felt like he was flying it a long long way what's interesting about this for me is that we every year go through guys who have had to do something to their body for whatever reason. We've got guys who realize that to fend off a back injury, they needed to get stronger. See McElroy, comma, Rory. Yep. We've seen guys who have had injuries, guys who thought they were too fat, guys who thought they were too thin, guys who yep. wanted to work on their legs. And I just, I can't think of, besides Rory and the guys who have kind of done it quietly and over time, but these dramatic guys like a Jason Duffner type person, said, look, I'm more successful the other direction <laughs> as a bigger guy than I am here. So to hear the confidence out of Bryson was really interesting because he is somebody who's fully invested in this and doesn't sound and did it. He claims for some type of back injury, I guess, that he had that yeah. wasn't well reported on, I guess, at the time. But for me, this was more of a personal or, or sorry, just how I saw it, was more of like a personal journey type thing, which we haven't really seen a lot in golf in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a curiosity, partly, which I think you see with Bryson. I mean, even when he says he started this, you know, around the time of the, the back injury, it just doesn't totally track because he had won, I think, three of his previous five starts right before then. And he said he was at the Hero and... This was the 2018 hero, I guess. And he 
said he felt like you know he was going to blow over in the wind or something like that. He wanted to be sturdier and stronger, and but he was he was playing one of the best stretches of golf that anyone has played in the last five years. So it's one of those things where you wonder, does this make logical sense, or is this just a guy that loves to tinker? Um, and this was his next project. And then you throw in this wrinkle, which is that he plays the most unique set of clubs of anybody in golf, in pro golf, that is. And the thing that I've always found interesting about body changes is it's adapting the new body to the swing or the swing to the new body, whichever way you want to look at it. Yep. And in the case of Bryson with same length irons, any change to your physique suddenly can pay can kind of huge impacts. And he's not been shy of posting his practice videos during this stretch on Instagram. Right. Um, but at the same time, I do wonder, is there an adjustment period that has to happen here to get the swing, the body, and the mind all lined up? Yeah, and I think it's only fair that we do give him some of that adjustment period. I mean, he's got a little bit of a tweaked golf swing, um, which I think if you look at it on slow-mo video, you know, on slow-mo Instagram video, it looks really good. Um, fundamentally, it looks super strong. It's, it's getting even closer to that single plane swing that he's always talked about. So there's no, you know, to the naked eye, it doesn't look like there's anything wrong, but the results have not exactly measured up since this whole bulk up um so i think we have to be patient we've got to kind of keep an eye on it see how he does see what his numbers really look like um i guess he made the cut this week but didn't really do anything he was t52 so he hasn't really played um well since coming back from this first mega diet but we'll see so that's where Dylan and I thought this conversation would end around Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. However, he's now taken up Fortnite, <laughs> and your colleague Luke. Um, yeah, I just I, w let's stop here. This is this is some inside baseball. But what is it like in the office when 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 Bryson goes live? Does Luke literally go crazy, or is that just somebody having some fun with some Instagram posts? Oh, that, no, it's very real. Luke will say, oh, oh, guys, Bryson's going live. <laughs> oh, my God, Luke. But, all right, well, there, there's a couple things to hit on here. Because, first of all, this turned into some news. Because, you know, Luke was doing some real on-the-ground reporting, watching this Twitch stream. I started watching it, too. I was intrigued. And uh, one thing led to another. A few other people started watching. A clip got out. Bryson um, talking about what Kepka's six pack yep. in the ESPN body issue shoot, and uh, this all started with you know Luke's weird passion for watching Bryson on Twitch. So this is a very real thing. But the sad effect of it is that since then Bryson has now gone back and deleted a bunch of his videos from Twitch, and he doesn't he hasn't streamed since then. So it's like Luke was saying the other day. It's like he loved something so much that you know. He choked it to death. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's actually a good point. I've not seen Bryson saying he's gone live in a while. That's actually a really good point. So yeah. now we go back to where the story picks up in 2020, which is Bryson and Brooks have this little back and forth, um, which 
Bryson claims is playful. I don't believe Brooks has been asked about it yet, um, or, or if you guys haven't seen it. However, Brooks has the ultimate mic drop because he posted the video, sorry, the uh, uh, picture of his four um, major championship trophies, which is a very nice way to quiet somebody immediately. Um, mm-hmm. For <laughs> I find everything Brooks Kepka does fascinating. This this could be a whole other podcast. You guys have talked about. Oh, and 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 by the way, Dylan is the co-host of the Drop Zone podcast. I should say that. By the way, um, you, that, you, yeah. you you you. Uh, sorry, say that again. I said, no, I appreciate that. Yes. Always good to get a drop zone shout out. Yes. And, uh, well, I want to pro- I want to use the drop zone properly, so I don't want a rules violation suddenly. <laughs> so I have to go about this right. Um, so here we are with this guy who I find fascinating, who has the ultimate mic drop on this. So maybe it's Brooks who had the mic drop and not Luke. But anyway, back, back to where the story goes. Brooks Kepka has made a career out of finding chips on his shoulder, and he has had a career after being and playing so-so in regular events and then rising up to the occasion at a major, and we're only, what, 71 days, I think it is, to the first shots at Augusta National? Um, yeah. I just, I find this fascinating, and I find why... I get why he was, why Bryson was doing it. He was having some fun. Brooks was obviously having some fun back. But does it really matter that you have a six pack? Um, and like, is this stuff people talk about in locker rooms? I have no idea if you can answer either of those two questions, but I'm just fascinated and very confused by what Bryson and Brooks are doing. And please, can somebody pair them together at some round, please? Well, I would say. I would first want to see evidence of Bryson having a six pack because he was putting on weight just sort of generally from what I could tell and was just getting He had a it. six pack over right around the holidays. He posted a shirtless picture on Instagram as uh, a story. Right. I mean, I guess so. He just it struck me as like this guy is just bulking up. He's not worried about being like skinny or anything. He's just getting massive in all ways. So Right. I don't know, but does that help you? I mean, a strong core helps you, um, and being like lean and healthy helps you. But no, I don't think that there's anything that is particularly helpful about being like you know looking like a fitness model. Yeah. So no, I think that some of that is just vanity. I mean, I did think it was funny that he he just Kepka seems like the guy that will always kind of come over the top. You know, you could be having a playful little conversation and then he'll just kind of take it too far the other direction, you know, and that's, he's a bully, and that's what he's done really well in the golf world that makes him an interesting figure. Uh, he and Bryson each occupy their own, you know, sort of unique but important spaces in golf's hierarchy. So it's important to have both of them. It's important that they are different um, in the way that, you know, the tour has these characters that keep us entertained. Talking to Dylan DeCher uh, from Golf Golf Magazine and the Drop Zone Podcast here on Teeing It Up. The Drop Zone Podcast came out with a brand new episode this week where Dylan and his co-host Sean Zock uh, go through the USGA RNA Distance Insights Report. I believe that's the official name of it, the DIR. Uh, the Distance Insights Project. Uh, okay, sorry, the DIP um, 
Some of them have been waiting months for this. I have not. I will wait to see what the recommendations are in a year because they made no recommendations. Um, <laughs> but I do, if you're one of these people who loves that stuff, highly recommend that podcast and highly recommend the podcast in general. It's a fun listen. They don't take themselves too seriously. And I think more, more um, podcasts need to go that direction because we're just way too serious in this country about a lot of things, um, which I think most of us will agree with. Um, that brings us to Jordan Spieth, and I forget who it was last week. It may have been your your colleague Daniel Rappaport from Golf Digest, formerly of Sports Illustrated, um, who said that the Spieth stuff is just sad, and you talked to him also at the Hero. And for me, Dylan, as a huge Jordan Spieth fan, I can't explain it. I can't put my arms around it. I can't explain the differences in scoring average between Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little dumbfounded. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a fair reaction because it's one thing if Jordan Spieth just had kind of an incredible run. He's not someone that was guaranteed. He's not Tiger Woods who had clearly a better golf swing, more talent, you know, could hit the ball past everyone. So there's no question that it made sense that he would regress a little bit. But what you can't really explain away is that difference last year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he basically went from being a probably top five, definitely top ten player on Thursdays and Fridays to being literally one of the worst players in the field on the weekend. And, um, you know, that didn't really come through his putting. It really came from his ball striking. It suggests a guy that's a little bit gun-shy. I mean, we know just from his press conferences, from talking to him, just how much he thinks about this stuff, just how hard he's grinding. And I think that it's one of those things where it's easy to say from the outside, oh, he should just be more natural, or oh, he should just go back to what he was doing and like not worry about it. But I don't know. It's so much easier said than done. When you're struggling, you have to try hard to get your way out of it. You have to try something. And uh, he's been, for the most part, pretty forthright and honest about the struggles that he's going through, the processes he's trying to hit. Uh, when I talked to him at the Hero, he was really insightful, I thought, about a few different things. One was going back to his old swing, looking at some of the glory years and, and trying to recapture some things that he was doing then with his actual golf swing. But then he was also insightful about going to Jupiter before the President's Cup, seeing those guys that were going to end up going to Australia and playing and practicing with them and just, you know, kind of realizing, man, this sucks being on the outside looking in. One thing that stood out to me from what happened this past week in Phoenix is that now he's changing his grip. That's a dramatic change. You know that as, as a former competitive player yourself, who, um, who we'll get to in a second, um, you that is. Um, where are we? To make that progression now, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out in my head, because at times he sounds like somebody who's got a plan, who's gone on the sim machine, I think they call it, whatever those robotic things are that can help get your swing back in alignment. Um, there are aspects to him that seem like they are in line and moving in the right direction. And then there are times that he sounds and comes off 
around and looks like he's just a completely lost human being. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. what one is happening here. And I, I, I just, I, you know, what's your take on that? Having talked to him, now seeing the grip change and, and knowing that at times he's had a direction and now he, he may not have a direction. I mean, that part's relatable, right? I mean, anyone that is, is not a dialed-in professional golfer can relate to, like, the optimism before a round or before a competition, before the week, and then, you know, just how empty you feel after playing a bad round. And with him, it's just ramped up because he's got all those eyeballs on him, and he's put so much work, clearly, into trying to figure this out. So... I mean, I think it sort of makes sense that you're seeing two different guys at different times, that you've got the optimist and then just the dejected, exhausted guy after uh, after poor rounds. I don't know. I think it's this tough thing about being famous and then setting such high expectations and then trying to live up to them. From, like, a technical standpoint, I mean, if you really want to get into the weeds, it looks like his club face is shut down a lot at the top of his swing from a few years ago and he was really hitting at his best. I think one thing that has changed is that he never he never missed in a bad spot back in the day. I think that was a thing that Speed was underrated for. He just if he didn't hit a good shot, he would just sort of hit it short and right. And hitting it a little short and a little right almost never gets you in major trouble, you know? Unless you're playing number 17 at TPC Sawgrass on Sunday, where that means being in the water. You know, if you short, sort of hit it a little short, a little right, and you have a short game like Jordan Speed, it's no real problem. Um, so I think the misses have just gotten a little bit bigger. The putter cooled down a little bit, although last year it was, it was kind of back to it. And then the driving has just really been a bigger issue, and having the big miss with the driver always lurking is it's really, really hard to overcome. Um. And to the point you were making earlier, and it's kind of sad uh, to even have to rattle this off, but we have to. And that's just because of what Jordan Spieth has put out there this year, um, and or, or actually technically last season. Ninth in first round scoring average. First and second round scoring average, 170th and third round scoring average, and next to last, 187 out of 188 players who qualify for this statistic in final round scoring average, only Michael Kim was worse. Yeah. It is one. First to last is, you know, that suggests that there's something beyond just you know, your golf game that that's taking effect there. I think is the only, I don't think that's a stretch. I try not to, you know, make these leaps and get into right. guys' heads. But there is, I think it's safe to say there's something going on there. Dylan DeCheres with us, Golf Magazine, golf.com, um, 8 a.m. golf and the Drop Zone podcast. Um, you're somebody who played competitively, dabbled on the mini tours for a while, um, for a little bit. What's this like as a player? Because I think a lot of people thought that the off season would do him well. He runs away. He goes into hiding. He says he's going to work it out. He travels to New York with the family to have some fun. Um, what What's this like? And and can you kind of is is this bringing back some nightmares when you think about and talk to Jordan Spieth? 
of being well it's sort of the only reality I ever knew was being like you know lost in, in competition I mean I wasn't very I was not very good I played uh, you know just over two years of pretty much full-time golf I did some part-time work to sustain myself but um, definitely the feeling of a really bad round when golf is your life is I mean it's devastating I think you know most golfers get really bummed out if they have a really bad round on the yep. course but even Jordan Spieth you know great family incredible life millions of dollars his life is still so centered on his performance on the golf course that it's not like you can really just block that out um, so to have that failure I think it's almost impossible not to internalize it and not to you know take that as some sort of referendum on yourself you know I, I think that you look at a guy like Smiley Kaufman who same type of thing made millions of dollars had a, this great group of friends you know got engaged and then married but it, all that was happening just as his game was completely falling apart it just strikes me as such a difficult thing to go through and still um, is going through and still is at the bottom of most Thursday Friday leaderboards I mean it's it's right. just so sad to see yeah yeah, it's hard. And, you know, I mean, my only closest equivalent would just be, you know, I had a stretch playing the Canadian Tour where I basically lost it with my irons. It, you know, I don't know what the word would be, but I just had no feel for where they were going to go. I was kind of scared hitting them. I missed, you know, a bunch of cuts in a row. And the feeling of, like, showing up to another tournament, starting off, like, in the week, you're feeling good. And, like, you know, maybe this is the week kind of things turn around. And then you know, competition starts and you're like, eh, it's just still, it's not there. That is really hard to deal with. Talking to Dylan D-Chair, excuse me, here on Teeing It Up. Um, best story, one of the best stories I read in golf all year and definitely the best story that had nothing to do with anything that happened um, <laughs> on a professional tour you wrote. And I'll just let you intro this because there's no intro I can give that um, basically would suffice so go right ahead yeah i think what you're referring to is uh last year's u.s open qualifying um so i don't really play i play i play golf where i can i love love to play golf i live in manhattan so i don't play that much golf in new york city but when i travel i like to bring my clubs and i play one tournament every year occasionally you know one or two others but one tournament every year which is u.s open local qualifying and uh turned it into a story last year it turned into a magazine feature and a short film for golf magazine for golf.com uh, and i headed to the smallest u.s open local qualifier in the world which is in uh alaska palmer alaska at a small muni and it takes place in the second week of may so thought to myself all right we've got to find out what the beginning of the golf season looks like in alaska who are the characters taking place in this competition you know i'd sort of been dialed into it for the last couple of years just being you know a golf nerd and poking around the internet and discovering these different sites and alaska ended up being about a dozen people playing for one spot um and it's it's half Alaskans, and that's half people that have kind of flown in looking for an edge, looking for an easy way to make it through the next round of qualifying. So I spent a week up there and discovered this whole other golf world that I think 
a lot of people would be fascinated by, and I just wanted to share a little bit of it with the world. It's a great piece. You can go to Dylan's uh, Twitter feed, uh, which is Dylan underscore D-E-T-H-I-E-R, um, where he goes into way more detail about this. I know from my work with PJ Magazine, I've, I've, I've done um, one article at least with the person who runs that muni up there and how they make it work. Um, and they do make it work, and those are some passionate people. Maybe a small group, but it's a passionate group of people. And there's also tourists, yep. obviously, who come through sometimes on tours or whatever. But it's just it's just an amazing read, and uh, I, I just I don't want to give a lot away, just because golf and Alaska are two things that you would not put in the same sentence. Yeah, and yet yeah, it well, happens, and it's really cool. For me, it was just fun to get outside the world of you know pro golfers who are look are they famous in a worldwide celebrity sense probably not but within their world they are these guys are tough to get time with they're they're they don't really want to talk to the media most of the time and they do so many interviews that they're not exactly excited about it so to go to a place where you know none of these people really are public figures they're not really used to being on you know on camera talking to reporters etc and really get a sense of some real people living their lives in alaska it was just a fun change of pace for me exactly and and for those who don't know qualifying um for the u.s open is a numbers game and there are people who strategically map out which qualifier they are going to to try to get the best numbers in their favor and that's why dylan was going for a 12 for one um, and that's why others did the same, and that's that's the that's that kind of parlays into this piece as well. Is that numbers game? All right. Full disclosure time. I write for PJ Magazine, which is an offshoot of the PJ of America. Their president is Susie Whaley, uh, who went whose daughter went to my alma mater, Quinnipiac. She was a volunteer assistant coach on that team. Um, so Susie and I have a whole connection. That's full disclosure. Susie Whaley was on the Drop Zone podcast with Sean and Dylan recently, and I've never, I've always liked Susie Whaley. I've always thought she's a great public speaker, a great motivator. I've never heard her talk grow the game in the way that she did, though, Dylan. It was so simple. It was like, why haven't we thought about it? And these two ideas that popped out at me, number one, the scorecard listing all, uh, listing the tees, listing all the tees up top instead of grouping them, which sometimes women see that and automatically think, all right, I have to be on the bottom. Why not just put all the yardages together? Mm -hmm. Genius, yet simple. Why hasn't anybody thought of this and done this? And number two, having a par three tee on every single hole to make every golf course in America a par three course <laughs> and full length. Uh, uh, Dylan, I'm sitting there listening to Susie and I'm thinking, this is genius at work here. Why hasn't nobody thought of this? We think of all these ideas that have focus groups that hire organizations and pay them God knows how much money to for you know for all these different initiatives. This cost about one dollar and common sense. Yeah, I mean, it, talking to Susie was I don't I don't even know the word invigorating, encouraging. She was uh, really really showed off her uh, real knowledge for the space. She was 
not she was not in any way like protective of her you know time or of questions we had to ask or anything like that there was there was none of that pretense which you see a lot of the time with important figures in the golf world she was kind of just ready for whatever and she it's not it's not that she was going to be an expert on every single thing discussed but she pretty much was and uh, <laughs> it just made you think like if you come at this game from not an outsider's perspective but with a little bit of an edge and she talked about you know how her being a woman in this space gives her a little bit of perspective that people that are fully in the establishment might not have um and she's super bright super sharp but so personable fun to kind of be with she gave she dropped me and sean off a a bottle of wine so maybe that's why i enjoyed it so much she she bribed us it's just very thoughtful she spends a couple hundred days a year on the road, but basically every day she's not on the road, she's teaching at her home course. So she really seems like she walks the walk, talks the talk, and um, and really lives what she preaches. So I, I appreciate it a lot about her, and I, I think that she's a good leader to be in place for the PGA. You know, uh, you you talk about talk to talk and walking the walk. Um, when I do the articles that I do, I've got a really small time span for these people because they're 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 basically doing this, you know, to help their fellow pros. Um, and, you know, it's not like this is some formal interview where you're being paid, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. I like you see on, on radio shows and stuff. This is writing an article, which can be a a tedious process, but also a quick process if you know what you're doing. And for somebody like her, and this was before she became uh, a a PGA president, who had though so much on her plate at that time, she, I, I never felt rushed once the entire interview. And she literally, I believe, flew in that morning and was leaving right after your chat with her, if I remember correctly. And and conversely, I never felt that it was rushed with you guys. It was just three people having a conversation, no C-suite type terms being thrown around. It was just three people talking golf. It was really fun, actually. So we picked her up in a uh, like a rental F-150 that week. <laughs> For whatever reason, that was the car we got assigned. So picked her up in the truck out in front of the uh, Carolina Inn at Pinehurst. We were at the Golf Magazine Top 100 Teachers Summit. And then, you know, drove her over to uh, the place where we were recording. She was just hanging out. She had a flight to catch eventually. So she went from our interview straight out onto the range where she started, you know, mixing it up with all these teachers. She was talking to George Gankus. She was like, oh, I got to go see George. And and you know, he's not exactly your prototypical PGA professional no. teacher either. So. You could see that she was comfortable with everyone there and she was intent on interacting with a bunch of these different folks who were important to her position. Um, and then, you know, after an hour, she kind of like flagged us down. She was like, hey, could I, uh, could I get a ride back? I think I've got to catch my flight. And we're like, oh, yeah, of course. So we shuttled her back. She's still cheerful, friendly, and like, wow, Susie, you're, you're amazing. So that was a, it was a really fun interview. I was super glad we did it. Uh, Dylan DeCher is with us, Golf Magazine, golf.com, uh, 8 a.m. Golf and the Drop Zone podcast. Um, all right, we've only got a couple minutes. 
Every first guest on the show gets asked one or two random questions by me that they don't know what's coming, that they have no idea this segment is even coming. My only guarantee is that it's not personal. Um, it's just stuff that you would say, like, you know, what shoe do you put on first? Things like that. Okay. All right. Most random topic you have heard talked about inside the ropes. And oh. you can curse on this podcast. You can go non-rated G on this podcast. Most random topic you have heard talked about while inside the ropes. God, this isn't really random. This is in some ways the opposite of that. But the thing that's just coming to my mind is just the uh, amount of like sports betting talk that you hear inside. Not like guys betting on themselves in an illegal way on their own golf, but more just like, you know, did you see the line on the Georgia game? Or did you see that finish last night in college hoops? I had so and so. There's, I, like, on the putting green in practice rounds, especially or before rounds, I'm always shocked by like that seems to be a common denominator for a lot of these guys. So I don't think that's random, but kind of is like an interesting thing that so many of these guys are dialed in on sports betting. That is really interesting, considering that if the wrong person overheard that, they could uh, have a trip to the PGA Tour uh, uh, rules official compound coming their way. Um, That's right. And I should clarify that I've never heard any amounts discussed, or and I can't confirm that any of these bets are even real. Right. But guys are definitely dialed into uh, the lines and the action. There's like eight different ways I can take this conversation that I can't right now, but that is a fascinating thing. All right, my final question for you, Dylan, on this podcast uh, this time, and hopefully you'll come back, um, is as you look at it right now, as we sit here on February 4th, the, per the a player that has impressed you most in the 2019-2020 PGA Tour season is... Look, Webb Simpson is an easy, easy answer here because he just won. He's been playing so well. He probably is the answer. Um, Patrick Reed. I think Patrick Reed's play has gone overlooked in some ways because he has gotten himself into a whole mess of trouble. But, gosh, he's been running off top tens, top threes. What he did at the Hero on Sunday, coming back to almost win the event after getting himself in such a mess, on Saturday is impressive in a different way than we normally think of golfers being impressive. So I would say Patrick Reed has uh, really shown quite a bit. I'll, th I'll throw something at you. I was a big um, person who was, I did not believe Xander, I fully believe Xander Shoffley was a fluke. And this was years ago after he won the tour championship. And he's proven me wrong every single time, every single time, every single time. I think that President's Cup performance is going to propel him and Patrick Cantlay to huge things in 2020 major championships. I know that was not an official PGA Tour event, but that, to me, impressed me most. They stepped up in some big spots down there in Australia. They're both awesome. Uh, I just talked to Xander the other day, actually, for uh, an upcoming story. And, and, yeah, he and Cantlay, they're, I guess, what, eight and nine in the world right now. So... They could be a couple guys that are going to challenge for spots in the U.S. Olympic team, which is going to be one of the most intriguing uh, 
battles to watch actually going to this summer. Absolutely, and uh, could be one of the hardest U.S. teams to make in the entire Olympics. Um, oh yeah, believe it or not. Dylan DeChair um, is a writer for Golf.com, Golf Magazine, uh, works under the 8 a.m. Golf Umbrella, and uh, is the co-host, along with Sean Zock, of the Drop Zone podcast. Dylan, this was a blast. Thank you for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Yep, and uh, thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.